Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. As always, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Bryce. We have been going through a quarterly focus on personal holiness right now, and so if you've been following the podcast, these last four of this quarter are practical how-tos in putting off sin. We've talked about putting off bitterness, pornography. We'll be talking about grumbling next week, but today we're talking about what honestly for me is the greatest struggle of all these, and maybe it is for you as well, anxiety. And since I struggle so much with this, we're bringing somebody else in <laughs> to talk about it so I can figure out how to nick this thing too. And I'm very pleased that our brother Christian Barrett is willing to be with us today. Christian, thank you for being here. Yeah, Bryce, thanks for having me. Of course. And some of you probably know Christian. You get around. Your name gets around. You know, Hopefully good things. <laughs> Hopefully. You know, Christian is over at Westwood. He's college pastor there. How many years have you been doing that? I started in 2020. Okay. The greatest thing in the world is to do was to hire someone to do college ministry the week before every college student in the United States went home. <laughs> what an unusual circumstance. It was. And here you are. You've endured through it. Endured. And yeah. And here you are. And we're glad that that's the case, you know. Yeah. Um, I thought we could get started today since... Even those who know you might not know all the background mm-hmm. of how you ended up knowing Christ and also how you ended up at Westwood. So would you mind to give us just a brief background on how did you come to know Christ and then how did you end up over at Westwood? Yeah. So I, I'm not from Evansville area. Uh, I came to USI in 2015. I grew up in a very um, nominal American traditional home. Um, so I, I, I want to be careful about saying nominal Christian home. I, I would say that we had an understanding of God, um, heard about Jesus. Um, I have vague memories of going to church, you know, especially at Christmas time and during Easter, you know, we were definitely creasters. Um, and if there's one thing I do remember very vividly though, and that was my mom's faith, um, very faithful throughout the years. I remember seeing her reading her Bible, very devoted. Um, and I remember getting into high school, finally just being committed to the position that I was not going to go to church, um, with her. My sister still went, um, my dad and I just kind of, you know, we did our own thing on Sunday. Sports was, was God for the most part during that time of my life. And so when I went to USI, I wasn't playing sports and I made myself my God. Um, and after my freshman year, um, about halfway through my sophomore year, um, I'd had a year or so of different people sharing the gospel with me, different people loving me that were Christians, and constant uh, obstinance to it was very it was very adamant not only that I wasn't a Christian, but that I didn't believe in any type of God. I was very agnostic, um, and it was in the middle of that. Um, and I don't have a specific time where someone shared the gospel with me and said, do you want that? Or I repented and believed, but uh, I have a very vivid moment um, from New Year's Day, um, just being on the knee, my knees before God and being like, having this realization, I had a, I called a friend and I said, I, I think there is a God and I think he has the right to send me a hell. And that, and that was kind of all I really knew. <laughs> that's, that's and, I big, yeah. and I didn't know how to get out of that. And I was like, can you help me? And so, you know, he shares the gospel with me. And then he goes, all right, we'll see you. And I'm like, you could have gave me a little bit more. <laughs> like looking back on it, it wasn't the most perfect gospel presentation, but God was drawing me and I came to faith. And that was in 2017. And so um, from there, you know, 
shortly after I felt a call to ministry, didn't know what that looked like specifically, knew I loved God's people, knew I wanted to see God's people be edified, had some giftings in teaching, um, and so kind of got connected and just this being discipled. Uh, which led me to being discipled by Jeff Knight, um, who's an elder at Westwood. Um, he discipled me throughout college. When I graduated college, I served in uh, doing some youth ministry in the area. And then in 2020, um, got the call to come to Westwood and have been there ever since. And I love college students. Um, I think some of that has to do with coming to faith in college, but um, I relate to a lot of the issues they have. And I just I love, love college students. And you now have the blessing and trial. Having a nine-month-old daughter. Yes. Yep. yep. So how's that been yeah. going for you? Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. She's she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is amazing at being a mother. And there's, uh, you know, there there are different seasons, right? And I'm sure as I live through these, you know, you'll see your wife in different seasons, and you're like. I'm getting what people talk about, like the love for your wife will grow. But seeing my wife be a mother is one of those things that's made me just fall in love with her more and more. Right? And you're like, you see glimpses of it when you date, and you're like, oh, this could be a good potential spouse, right? And then, uh, you know, as, you, as you're married, you see little things. You're like, wow, like the Lord knew what He was doing when He paired me with you because I would be so helpless in so many of these scenarios. So. <laughs> if anyone who knows Christian knows, he's philosophically minded is this the accurate <laughs> description so especially for those who are philosophically minded having a down-to-earth wife makes a big difference it does it does yep. <laughs> it truly does yeah. but yeah. we appreciate the philosophical mindedness it just needs a good wife to support that's it that's right so we're grateful for that yeah well like i said today we're talking about anxiety mm-hmm. and this is bringing us toward the end we've had a whole quarter here on personal holiness We've talked about the what and the why and the how, and now getting very practical. And like I said, this is the one that for me personally is the hardest struggle. So even this quarter as we've, as a church, been focusing on this, this has been, I prayed actually early in this focus while I was preparing for it. And I genuinely thought, okay, I should take one sin I'm struggling with and make my focus for these three months to be, let's make progress. And when I thought that, it was interesting because I didn't have a specific sin in mind. Like, there's none that stood out like, this is, I know I've got sins, but there's none that was so clear. And so I was praying Psalm 139, Hmm. like, God, search me and show me, you know, what is it you most want to see me grow in? And it only took about a week of praying that, and I was driving one day, and it struck me, and I thought, I am anxious, and I'm not exaggerating, Pretty much always, Mm. like pretty much always there's a low grade anxiety about a million. And you could say, well, what are you anxious about? It doesn't matter. It could be Mm -hmm. anything. You can give me any data and I'll, I'll take (laughs) it in all kinds of directions. And I think I'd gotten so used to that and I, it really convicted me. I realized this is something I really struggle with and want to grow in. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great danger of just sin in general. Mm. It, it becomes something we, we almost become like a fish in a, in a tank of water. We have no idea that we're just in the water. And anxiety is one of those things where I think that our culture has normalized anxiety to the point of like, something's wrong with you if you're not anxious about something. It's like, there's so many things to be anxious about. Why would you not be? Um, and so when, you know, we talk about the secularization of the age, I think that that's a major component that we can't ignore. Um, because it, in some sense, it's a good thing if you are anxious, because it means that you're, you're, you're like everyone else, you're human. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem to be what Paul's necessarily getting at to some extent about anxiety. And since you are philosophically and historically minded, you know, I can say this with the understanding that I'm not as much. And so this could be wrong. 
but just my amateur sense of history. I think about before World Wars One and Two in the West, there was generally a greater sense of confidence, even the way that England went into World War One. I. I mean, there was this machismo, and then we had even like in between Great Depression. So there was this sense of like glory, grandeur. But the way that the West reacted to, especially World War Two, with despair and uh and that led right into what we call the age of anxiety with the Cold War, where you're just waiting to explode. But also, all of already, all of these yeah. like foundational principles, beliefs, sets under things underneath civilization, holding them up. Be that God that Nietzsche talked about, God is dead or whatever. All of those things seem to have been shaken, and it leads to this just incredibly anxious world. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the trend is changing. Especially, yeah. I know you do college ministry, but you go college and younger. Yeah. There's not less anxiety. <laughs> yeah, there, it's, a, it's a lot more, right? There's an increase in it. I, just a, before coming back to that, just the, I, was, I was reading uh, an R.C. Sproul book today, and it was one of those crucial question books that are really helpful. And it actually had nothing to do with anxiety, but was, the question was, is God in control of everything? That's the, that's the title of the book. And he makes the note that if you read books from 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, there's an overarching awareness that God is present and that he is in control. Um, that it would have been really weird for a man who's hanging off the side of a mountain to have not said, is someone there? Could you help me? Um, because there would have been an awareness that there is a someone who could help you. Whereas today it's kind of like, well, I'm on the side of the cliff and I guess this is it. And you just kind of sit in the mud of, of it. And that's kind of the age we're in. And that's, I mean, that is college students for the most part, whether it's anxiety about future jobs or spouses or, you know, just the fact of grades and then normal social anxiety. I, I think that so much of this, and this would, you know, most, I think most sociologists would probably agree with this. So much is connected to uh, social media and the globalization of knowledge to some extent um, that happens right after the cold war, right in the midst of the cold war, you kind of begin to see globalization happen with uh, network television. And then, you know, in the late nineties, we get internet. And then by 2023, I could find out what's happening in, Hong Kong, China, right like that. And so you, you add that. And I think there's a real element to we're finite creatures with infinite ability to attain wisdom and knowledge. And, and we have a desire to, right? That's a God-given desire. It's a good desire, but we're not supposed to because we don't actually know how to process that. Um, it, it actually wouldn't be healthy for me to know everything that was going on right now in the world. I would probably be more anxious than what I currently am. Um, and, and there are some things that are worthwhile being anxious about. We, we should be on, on guard to some extent, but that's different than this overt worry over specific individual things. And that almost perfectly leads into what I thought we'd start with in this mm -hmm. conversation, because you mentioned there are some things that it's legitimate to be worried or anxious or concerned about, whatever yeah. term we use. And I thought, since this is something we all deal with, especially today, It'd be good to start by doing our best to try to differentiate the kind of anxiety or concern that would be sinful. And I'm thinking especially of Philippians 4, 6, where mm -hmm. Paul just says rather plainly, don't be anxious about anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So just like a very clear, don't do it. But at the same time, there are passages of scripture where Paul talks about anxiety using the same word in Greek, or at least the same root word in Greek. Mm -hmm in a more positive way, even saying it's something he himself does. So I've got two passages here. There is Philippians 2.20, where 
where he is talking about Timothy, and he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, and that's merimnao, that's the same Greek word where he says, don't be concerned, don't be anxious in Philippians 4. But in Philippians 2, he says, I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, suggesting that's a good thing. And then in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul says of himself, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, same root of that Greek word there. So Paul has an anxiety for the churches. Timothy's a good man. He has an anxiety or concern for the welfare of the Philippian Christians. But also Philippians 4, 6, don't have anxiety. <laughs> so, so we need someone to help us interpret What's the difference between the Philippians 4.6 anxiety I'm not supposed to have and then the Philippians 2.20, 2 Corinthians 11.28 kind of anxiety that it's, it seems actually healthy to have? Help us understand. How do we separate those? You know, in many ways, you know, Timothy's con- commended for his anxiety. It's a yeah. godly anxiety. Um, it would, you know, it would probably be an ungodly anxiety for you to not be anxious about the people here. Uh, you maybe you shouldn't even be in the pastorate to some extent is is kind of what it seems that Paul's getting at. So there is a beneficial anxiety, and you know we 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 talked about this beneficial and non beneficial anxiety, and that you kind of use those terms. And I think those terms are helpful. You think about the beneficial anxiety of, um, and you'd use the same example: the father who's terrified that his house is going to burn down, and and every night he goes to bed and he's like, "This could be the night. This could be the night." Uh, that that's not a beneficial anxiety. That leads to a lot of sleepless nights versus the father who hears the fire alarms going off in his house in the middle of the night. And he wakes up and he says, you need to get the dog out of the house. I'll get the kids and get out. Make sure you grab your phone and call 911. That's, that's anxiety that's good because that's anxiety that shows intense care and, and he's doing everything he should appropriately do. And so that type of anxiety is a natural, in, naturally instilled anxiety in us that is aware of one our limitations, but also the God we serve. And so I would I would lean towards saying that that the sinful anxiety that uh, Paul is getting in Philippians uh, four is rooted in a uh, carelessness or a forgetfulness of the God in whom we serve. Uh, and that's because he follows it up with, right, you know, don't be anxious about anything. He doesn't just say that and then leave us, right, and abandon us. And it's like, oh, thanks, Paul. Like, that was really helpful. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop doing that. <laughs> I'll make sure I write that down. And so, no, he says, but be prayerful in, supplica- in supplication with thanksgiving. And so it's this deep reminder for us of, like, it's this is much less, your concerns are much less about you and much more about the God that we serve. And the God who does hear our prayers and cries. And so I think that that's really probably where I would go. If we were, we're talking about a definitive understanding of sinful anxiety is anxiety that is careless towards the, gods we, towards the God we serve. Yeah, that's really well said because, and you were talking about this before we had started the podcast, like the Psalms with David. Mm-hmm. You know, could you imagine... The Psalms, but in a stoic, emotionless way, you know, just propositions one after another and, you know, syllogisms. Like, mm. They're not like that. You know, there's, I guess, I guess you could call it anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety in the Psalms. Yeah. And then I would also flip it. Let's imagine the Psalms with uh, an unholy anxiety and sinful anxiety. Uh, it would be, I'm in so much sorrow. My life is miserable. Saul is trying to kill me. My son is now trying to kill me. My my son has died. 
but we don't see that. We see the, the actual flip of that. My bones are wasting away, O oh Lord. It, when, when he feels silent and alone, he doesn't say, oh, I feel alone. He says, how long, O oh Lord? It's a, it's a, he's actually crying out to someone with his anxiety rather than just sitting upon the anxiety. And I think that that's the, that's why I love the Psalms because they invite us into that. You know, even Lamentations, the book invites us into this real weeping uh, of putting our anxiety before the Lord. Um, This is both sinful and beneficial anxiety before the Lord and say, Lord, just help me. I can help. This is where I'm at. Help. I need you. And I, I heard John Piper say one time, he, he was talking about like his most common prayer is the one where he just simple word, help. And I, and I think that that's probably where most of us are at. And and if we're not, we should probably maybe check our lives. Like why, why aren't we crying out a little bit more? Maybe it's because we have a hidden, hidden sin of anxiety in our life that fails to actually recognize that we serve a God who really does hear our cries and wants us to cry out to him. And I think that that's the real beauty part is like you, you yes, we have the God who can, you know, he, he provides for the birds. So he's going to provide for you. Like, yes, you, that means you shouldn't worry about food, but it also means that you have a God who really does care that you're, you're frustrated that you're probably going to be late to this meeting or that uh, your anxiety about your kid's health. Like the, the Lord wants you to cry out to him and confess that to him. He wants us to hear our cries. That's that's the plea of the Psalms in many ways is cry out to the Lord. He wants to hear us. And that's why it is amazing that the Psalms, which are so full of anxiety, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety, but literally they are prayers. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what the Psalms are. Yeah. So they are by their nature Godward. And being Godward then, David and the other psalmists, there is a, an openness with them to be honest about what they're anxious about. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just tidied up Sunday morning stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, God's in control. It's all good. You know, nothing's yeah. no matter. It's like, no, things are the matter. <laughs> you read yeah. the Psalms, things are the yeah. matter. And, but it's a prayer. Yeah. And that's kind of like we had also talked about Jesus, where on the one hand, Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink? Because we'll die if we don't have yeah. those. <laughs> but he's like, no, don't worry, because reasonably you have a father who'll provide for you. But for himself, so there are things where he says, kind of Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about it. It's not going to help. That's his point. It's not beneficial. You can't make yourself tall or short. It doesn't do a thing. So don't worry about it. You focus on the kingdom. When it came to Jesus' own time to die, the most terrible death possible that we'll never experience, not like that. Hmm. In the garden, can you call that anxiety? He sweat drops like blood. I mean, he, there was certainly an emotional turmoil in anticipation of what was coming. But again, this is the point you made when we were talking earlier that I hadn't really thought of. It's like the Psalms. He was in prayer. Mm-hmm. He was in prayer. Yeah. Like, Lord, please make this not happen, yeah. but not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. So it almost seems to me, you mentioned beneficial, non-beneficial. It almost seems to me that with anxiety... It's more about what you do with the anxiety. It's mm-hmm. like it's going to be there, you know. Yeah. If you're a husband and a father and you lose your job, maybe there's some personality or someone with a mental injury, maybe, who just is not going to feel anything. Yeah. It's probably not healthy. <laughs> For most of us, we're going to feel something, some yeah. kind of adrenaline. But then you do decide what to do with that adrenaline, and you can either do beneficial things with it mainly 
pray. That's the biggest one. It can drive you to God. Mm-hmm. Or you can do non-beneficial things like the guy thinking, is my house going to burn down? Is my house going to burn down? Is my house <laughs> going to burn down? And, you know, you feel like you're in control because you've thought of every scenario possible just in case. So you can't be taken by mm-hmm. surprise. But you lose like five years of your life because you can't sleep. So is it really yeah. beneficial? No. Yeah. So I like that. Beneficial, non-beneficial responses with the best response to everything, just like Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious. Here's a, here's a useful thing you can do with your anxiety instead of letting it destroy your life. Mm-hmm. You can bring it to God. It can drive you to God. This maybe leads into this next thing I was going to ask you about. We talked a little bit before the podcast about this, but I've shared how I struggle with anxiety. In other words, I handle anxious thoughts in unbeneficial ways, and I'm trying to improve in that. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you also have struggled with? And if so, what have you found helpful? Yeah, I think that when I think about anxiety in my own life, um, I remember being in high school, and the first time I ever had a panic attack was in high school. And and I can even look back on that time. I remember being in that moment being like, I'm... I'm 17 years old. What do I have to be stressed about? Like I have, I, I have nothing that I am that could actually point to that I would say, oh, I'm anxious about X, Y, and Z. And, and so, you know, some of the things that, you know, the doctor recommended things as you're in the hospital doing all those things was very basic. Like, you know, don't, don't focus so much on being great at sports and things like that, which are helpful, but you know, they're not biblical wisdom, right? That's not, it's very practical and all truth is God's truth. So we're there, right? Uh, but, but I think about as a Christian in response to um, anxiety and, and anxiousness over, over things that seems like we can control, but we really can't control ultimately. And so I am one of those during, uh, just during my own life of just thinking about my weeks and how I'm going to plan my week and how I'm going to plan a year and you know, thinking about the next five years and I constantly doing those things. And those things are just so unhelpful. I, there's, there's a, a real aspect to one anxiety is, you know, it's, it, it really brings into question our, how we view God. So that's, that's an important part of anxiety, but two, this is also really, Paul's just giving us practical advice. Anxiety really doesn't help you bad. Sinful anxiety really doesn't help you, right? You lose sleep, you're miserable to be around because you're constantly like, well, why aren't you worried about this? Like, I'm worried about this. You should also be worried about this. And so that can stem from your job, your spouse's health, your own health, your children's health, your children's future, uh, your, you know, the, the state of the financial market, your, uh, whether or not Christ is coming back tomorrow. Like, for, the list goes on and on and on, the things we can be anxious about. And I know that the thing that has helped me, and the Lord gives means of grace through multiple means. One of those is a, a regular plan. I have a plan for every day. And so I know one of the things I, I find myself often doing when I can sense that like, oh, somebody, somebody said something in an off conversation that made me think about something that's two months away. The wheels start turning. You're like, oh no, I need to get X, Y, and Z done for that to happen. It's like, that's two months away. What am I? Hold on, Lord, I have things that I need to do today. Help me to focus on the moment today. Tomorrow will have its own worries and it will be it will be resolved because the same God I'm serving today will be the same God who's there tomorrow. The Lord is the constant. The Lord is my rock. And so just for me, as I, I struggle with my own temptation to be anxious about 
the worries of tomorrow or the fact that, you know, in three weeks I'm going to be out of town. And so I've got to find someone to teach for our Tuesday night Bible study. Um, and I got to make sure that I've, I've got plenty of my meetings scheduled and made sure I've told people that I'm not going to be there. Like I, I had, the Lord's given us me the means to write that down on my calendar and say on today, you need to let X know that you're not going to meet with them. That's, that's a means of grace to me. But all of that's done with prayerful consideration of, Lord, I don't want to worry about these things. I want to rest with you, rest in you and rest with you. Because if you're constantly worried about it, and I'm sure you can speak to this well, if you're constantly worried, even your your time in prayer, it's not the same. I don't I don't want my times in prayer to just be filled with constant worry before the Lord, but I want to enjoy God. I want to enjoy being in his presence. And anxiety, sinful anxiety will rob us of even that. And anxiety is such hard work. It's like if anyone's ever gone on a diet, like mm. a serious diet. You know, my wife and I have done diets for health and stuff, and some of those are, wow, they're intense. I mean, you have to change your whole everything, you know, to make those happen. You're eating yeah. tongue, and oh my goodness. <laughs> so they're hard, but see, you do them because you have a, a goal in mind. It's going to help your health. You're going to lose mm-hmm. weight. Whatever. But being anxious, and I'm speaking as one who struggles with it, the unbeneficial anxiety, which is like 90% of our anxiety, it's like an intense diet with no benefit. <laughs> you yeah. lose no weight. You get no... It's actually the opposite. Your yeah. health will be hurt. Your relationship shat. I mean, you sacrifice so much. I remember Spurgeon in one of his sermons talking about people he sees who are anxious. He just thought, wow. I mean, you guys are investing so much of your life and money into this. There must be a huge payout. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no payout at all. It's the most... Yeah. Unre- and that's, again, the Sermon on the Mount. Why are you worried about tomorrow will take care of itself, meaning God will take care of tomorrow. (laughs) And you can't make yourself taller, shorter. You can't extend your life or shorten it. So you're, you're absolutely wasting your time. But again, like I said, um, when we're struggling with worry or anxiety, even those reasoned arguments of like, well, can't you see how it's not helping? Probably most people are worrying do see that. I mean, yeah, it's not helping anything. It's messing up my marriage, and but I'm still worried. And it makes us more anxious. Right? And it makes us more anxious. It's like when you preach on anxiety, like, stop being anxious. So the people that are anxious about being anxious, like, yeah. oh, that's not right. That's yeah. not what we're doing here. Maybe could you paint for us to give this, so there's a negative side to this, like, hey, you're messing everything up, so don't be anxious. But just so we're not just worried about that, there's also a positive side here. When we're thinking about a person who has become more like Christ by fighting non-beneficial anxiety, what is the kind of life that we are aiming for? Because I I think we could be tempted to think like, oh yes, to become a non-worrying person. You had to become like a Southern California surfer from the 70s, like everything's gnarly, we're not worried about anything, only good vibes, or maybe just an emotionless stoic. You do yeah. not worry about a thing. It's non-beneficial or something like that. Could you help us to have a clearer picture of what is it exactly we're aiming for in our life? Yeah. I, I think about both of those examples, right? The the California surfer dude, like, you know, he's great for a weekend, but then he's miserable to be around the rest of life. And then the stoic guy, he's likewise kind of great for a weekend, but also miserable to be around most of your life. And so I, to kind of go back to even, even Spurgeon, you know, you're reading about Spurgeon's own issues with he talked a lot about anxiety and depression because he really struggled with both of those things. And so 
I think one of the things when I think about his life and he found the things that worked for him that drew his mind to God in those seasons. Um, you know, and this is an odd thing that he did, but he would often take a hot bath. He's, he would talk about that was a worshipful thing for him. It helped his mind relax and to focus on one thing. And so maybe a hot bath is something that you should do. Maybe you shouldn't take one every day. I don't, I don't you know, and not to get into cleanliness issues there, but, but to just kind of looking at this life that we're aiming for when it comes to fighting for holiness holistically, um, it, it it's also includes the fullness of the human being. I think the anxiety as most sins are, have a real uh, physiological aspect to them as well. It's not just spiritual. We're, we're human beings with a soul. And God's made us that way because, it, and so that means it has implications when we do sin. It affects our minds, it affects our bodies. And so you said it, like you, t- you talk to people that struggle with anxiety. I know that, and this would be like a, a fruit of my own anxiety would be, I, I can become a glutton, right? Like I remember, I remember going through this really intense season uh, this past spring of just like, you know, like just so anxious all the time, just worried about what was going to happen. And my first response was always, I should just go to Little Caesars and get a large pizza and just put on a movie and not think of anything. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That's just that is that is a fruit of sinful anxiety and having to confess that to the Lord, like and repent of that. And some people, you know, so anxiety leads to other sins in many ways if it's not dealt with biblically. So how do we actually fight this? And this is where Owen can be really helpful. John Owen can be really helpful in the idea of like daily mortifying our flesh. And I think just simply starting our day off with, you know, for some people that's a the same prayer every day. For for me, it's just a, you know, I wake up and I, you know, before I have my feet hit the ground, I say, Lord, I want my feet to be used for you. So put the things in front of me that need to be in front of me. And that's just a sim, you know, that's not just a that's a real prayer. Like I really mean that, but it's also a mental note of like. I need to worry about the things today because tomorrow's going to have its own issues. And so it's moment by moment seeking the Lord with that heart desire. And we think about anxiety just as we should think about other sins this way, right? The temptation to be anxious is not sin. The temptation to lust is not sin. I think that's important for us to understand. It's what we do in response to temptation that matters. You think about the, you know, I, I'm sure that to some extent when Jesus is promised bread on the mountain, the temptation's real, but he doesn't sin. And so likewise, we can we can have the anxious thought, but what do we do with it? If we, it's when we begin to linger on it that it becomes the sin, right? So let's let's actually cast that before the Lord and say, Lord, and even ask, Lord, why am I thinking this way? What, what's going on that would let me think that way? Because it could be a red flag could be going off. It could be like the fire alarm. It could be a good good thing that's happening. But asking the Lord that and then giving that to the Lord and day by day aiming to seek the Lord. And I think that one of the things we have to do in order to, to pursue holiness in this walk each and every day um, is, and this is so much of life and so much of fighting sin, is just deeper humility. The bigger our God is, the less our problems are going to seem. And that's not to say our problems aren't real. Like, I, like you know, I'm, I'm 27 years old. I've have I have my problems, but go to go to a hospital with people who are dying. Do a hospital visit. I, I mean, people talk about problems like th- th- those are that when you talk about that type of level of anxiety and just get some perspective of 
not just where you're at before the Lord. The Lord does care. He cares about the fact that your dog died, but he also cares that your spouse died. He cares about both of those things. I think that's the beauty of who our God is. He's kind in both of those scenarios. But we have to remember that. We have to be told that day in and day out. And so just as fighting pornography is not something you'll do ever accomplish alone, so is fighting anxiety. And so finding faithful brothers and sisters around you who are holding you accountable, what are you not giving to the Lord? What are you, what are you holding on to? What are you, what are you still trying to control? Because that's so much of anxiety. Um, we think that if we just have enough anxious thoughts about it, subliminally or even intentionally, that we will be able to make sure X won't happen. Man, that's just not the case. And so really giving it to the Lord. And I think of the, the old hymn, you know, and I'm not going to sing it. Because I don't want to I don't want to put anybody through that punishment. But, but give it to the Lord in prayer. It'd be right? good for your humility, though. It, so. it would be good for my humility, <laughs> but I, I have enough people that give me a hard time about okay. it. So, but, but the, you know, give it to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. Give it to the Lord in prayer. Give it to the Lord in prayer. I know that's, I say that like it's this easiest thing in the world to do. I know it's not, but that's where the beauty of faithful spouses, faithful friends who come alongside and say, Hey, I've really been thinking about you today. Like what, how are you doing with X? I know I saw that X happened in the stock market. And as my brother who I know struggles with anxiety about finances, how are you doing? That's excellent. You know, and every time you say something, a million other thoughts are sparked mm-hmm. because it's such a broad subject, anxiety, and there's so much to the ways that we fight it. I mean, we could talk about the way the gospel is so incredibly helpful in stabilizing us, helping us with aimlessness and things like that. And even um, even with that, you know, so much anxiety, it's just it's what you were saying. It's a focus on ourselves. And that might be since we won't have time to deal with everything else, including even how heart issues relate to this, like usually idols of the heart are just totally involved. Those get threatened. You're anxious. So you got to deal with those too. But I feel like what you were just saying is probably a good summary of this whole podcast, a larger view of God, a more realistic and smaller view of ourselves. I bet in nine, if not 10 out of 10 cases, that would fix the anxiety. (laughs) You know, you'd open, it's like opening the window and getting a fresh breeze, like, because you're so focused in on you and what's happening in your life and what's so scary. Yeah. And I do encounter that just this last week in counseling, but this happens a lot where someone is sharing the struggles they're going through and you really do feel just the pain of it. But, but most times as you're getting that information of a crisis that's happening, even for us as believers, God's not there, you know. He's not yeah. in the story. He's not, you don't see him anywhere. Yeah. And that's probably part of what leads to those crises. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that in this, just to kind of add on to the the idea of like fresh air, you said this and it made me think of this. You re, you know, you read biographies about John Payton or Adoniram Judson. And one of the things, it's so funny. She's like, they, they were sick. What are you talking about? But they would often send them off to oh, faraway places. Like they get a refresh or, uh, and his name is, his slipping me, but he started the idea of the English, um, in London, he started the orphanages. Oh, Mueller. Mueller. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Mueller would constantly go off to the countryside and, you know, you know, clinical psychologists today would say like, Mueller probably really struggle with some type of mental health and anxiety. And you think about a guy who would go to bed, not knowing how he's going to feed 60 people tomorrow. It makes sense that he probably did have some anxiety, mm-hmm. But it was getting away to the countryside gave him perspective. 
and you think about the that idea of like perspective and so it's stepping back recognizing who the god we serve is gives us a new perspective on just how big our issues are and sometimes our issues are really really big but they're never too big for our god mm-hmm. our, our anxieties our questions our concerns are never too big for the god we serve mm-hmm. um he spoke all things into existence. I, I think that he he can be there for both the, the when your spouse is dying. He can be there when your dog has died. He can be there when you're concerned about your job, about the stock market. He he has been fast all through the ages, and he will be. That's the that's the hope the gospel brings into this. Absolutely. So so take a hot bath. Go for a trip if if possible, and more than anything, distract yourself away from yourself by praying, turning to God, mm. seeing his bigness. Yeah. Christian, thank you so, so much for being here and helping us with this today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Someone listening to this, you might be right in the middle of intense anxiety right now, wondering how you're going to overcome it, and maybe this was a lot of information to take in, and it might be that you thought and maybe still are thinking, I don't know it's going to work. I've struggled with anxiety so long, I don't know that I can kick it. It's just part of my personality, part of who I am. Well, whatever you may have thought before, may God, by His grace, help us all now to think this way. Mm